0: Welcome to The Procurement Show.
1: Hello and welcome to the Procurement Show. The show that tackles the topics we all need to think about and sets out to explore the more interesting bits of procurement. I'm Jonathan O'Brien and I'm Paul Philpot. I'm
2: here to ask the alternative questions and I must admit I also enjoy loading the office
1: dishwasher. This week we're talking about how to navigate the immense procurement tech landscape, which is no small task. And even understanding what is out there and what we need to be doing can seem overwhelming. So I thought we need a techie to help us unpack this. Love a techie.
0: The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organisations around the globe.
1: Today's special guest is a digital procurement advisor, founder of the site Procurement Software, and is the voice behind the excellent ProcureTech podcast. Please welcome live from his ski resort in Bulgaria to The Procurement Show, James Meads. James, welcome. It's great to have you on The Procurement Show.
3: Wow, what an introduction.
0: Thanks, Jonathan.
1: (laughs) James, you must be doing really well to own a ski resort in Bulgaria. Well, when I said his ski resort, I meant, you know, (laughs) that's where you are. But I I really appreciate you taking the time out. Because, I mean, if you're going skiing, you kind of want to be out there on the piece yes indeed rather than doing the procurement shows i know
2: what i prefer
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's not go there so imagine i'm a cpo of a global company and imagine we've done the basics in terms of implementing tech and stuff like that so perhaps we've got an erp system implemented it is okay Mm. but you know it hasn't really changed the game maybe we're using an e-sourcing platform perhaps dabbling with a few cloud-based solutions that's the sort of thing that i see happening out there but i've got this feeling as this cpo that we're nowhere in terms of what we should be doing so i want to embark on a digital transformation because everybody else is talking about one what would be your advice james where would i start
3: there are a lot of businesses that are in that space, especially some of the larger businesses that have maybe done a fairly sort of half-hearted effort towards digital transformation. Because as you rightly say, you know, if you look at big enterprise companies, they've all done something, right? There are very few greenfield opportunities out there unless you get down into the mid-market where you know there are still a lot of businesses that have not done anything. So I would say, start with why to use a bit of a cliche, you know, what's your biggest challenge or objective? What is it that's giving you sleepless nights? Because, you know, if you're a professional services firm, for example, then you probably don't need cost estimation software for your raw materials, just to use a rather obvious example. So, so many CPOs just then go down the default route of saying, okay, let's just implement legacy brand suite x rather Mm -hmm. than really understanding what's out there on the marketplace and you know when they do that usually they typically often feel quite underwhelmed by the technology for a number of reasons but the most common usually is that it doesn't do everything that they thought it would or it doesn't do it particularly well and it's bloody complicated to use a lot of the time as well because it's just these older generation tech platforms that are the most well-known out there aren't particularly user-friendly and Mm. as a result adoption often ends up being low
2: yeah Mm. so who is out there sounds like something from the (laughs) x-files that doesn't it what (laughs) what was the x-files phrase the truth is out there. The truth there. is out yeah. there. Is the truth out there? Well, I really hope so. But who is out there in terms of all this? Because when I look at press articles or I've watched bits on YouTube and read white papers, publications, all that kind of stuff, digital providers, it seems to try and get grouped into, I don't know, buckets, for want of a better way of using a word. Headings with lots of logos under them, such as risk management, data and analytics, mm-hmm. supplier management, e-procurement, yep. sourcing. I could go on and yep. I probably yep. will. Market intelligence, etc. Which makes me think that in order to understand that landscape means you need to have the buckets and be organized in the same way. It's about buckets of products, or should we be looking at it something differently? Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's yes. like everything's so uniform and how it's mm-hmm. sorted, but yeah. maybe there's a more creative response.
3: Yeah, I'm really glad that you asked me that. And this definitely wasn't staged, but that's the reason why I created procurementsoftware.site because For that exact reason. So what you're referring to, these sort of solution maps, that are typically put together by service providers or even venture capital companies in some Mm. cases. And it's not just within the procurement tech landscape. You see it across things like fintech and marketing tech and supply chain and legal tech as well. And the problem with those is, as you very, very accurately pinpointed is that they're very one dimensional. And while something like Trello or Asana that you might use in your private life is quite one dimensional, okay, it's project management software, procurement technology rarely does just one thing. And They're constantly evolving as they develop and grow their solutions out based on customer feedback. You know, most of these solutions, apart from the ones that have been around 10 years, you know, the ones that I call the legacy brands, Mm. most of these solutions don't have thousands or even hundreds of companies signed up using them. They're still, in a lot of cases, startups and are sort of figuring out what their sweet spot is in terms of the different modules and features that they have so you're absolutely right that I think it's quite unintuitive to look at one of those solution maps or you know sheets with a bunch of logos on and headers Mm. on top of them and you can see who's out there in the marketplace with those but it doesn't really get you any further in terms of doing due diligence around okay well what do these platforms offer me in terms of a solution And if you take an example of most of these best of breed tech platforms, they do a couple of things. They will have one core feature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's take an e-sourcing platform, for example. Okay, they're a sourcing platform, but they will probably also perhaps have a contracts repository or maybe a vendor intake module because Mm -hmm. they are... Natural progressions of what the core product is. So, on procurementsoftware.site, what you're actually able to do is select more than one category, staying on that example of e sourcing. If you want a sourcing platform that also has a contract repository in there, you can select both of them, and then the website will just spit out anything that matches both of those criteria. Likewise, you can search based on whether you're looking for enterprise software or something that serves more mid-market or even SME customers, and you can search based on maturity as well. You know, you may want to work with a startup and be one of the early customers so as you can have a lot of influence over what features they add. Or you might yeah. say, don't really fancy that. I want something that's tried and tested and that's not dependent on their next VC round of funding risk of them going bust. And opt for something that's more of a stalwart and you can do that through the platform because there is no right or wrong answer. Every company is different in terms of the tech that they will want to buy for their specific company and problem and corporate culture. So, I'm glad
2: you mentioned that because I actually had a look at the site before this yeah. interview and saw that you can use several different queries. I think it's only fair that you mention it, but I also want to spin that round to you, Jonathan, because the business that you're the CEO for, you mm-hmm. provide digital solutions as well. Yeah. This kind of environment works in two ways not only does it allow the customer to find the right solution for them yeah but also make sure that the solutions provider is serving the right customer too yeah. if that makes
1: sense yes it does and i'm glad you picked up on that because one of the things i wanted to talk to you today was the fact that this is such a difficult landscape to navigate and you mentioned that thing of where you see all the logos And we play in this space. So we've got our Capella tool, which is our guided category strategy creator. Mm -hmm. We've got our Ruby tool, which is our guided negotiation plan creator, both using intelligence to guide you to where you want to be. All part of the Proclius ecosystem, so e-learning, traditional Mm e-learning and process toolkits and competency assessment and so on. So we know how parts of this industry work. But I still look at it and I see a whole bunch of logos for companies that, are, well, you know, who are they? Yeah. <laughs> does it doesn't, doesn't mean from? anything. And as they've well. been put in a bucket somewhere. Yeah. So I'm really interested in the idea of being able to look across those buckets at what it does, because it feels like the way these platforms, the way the digital products are evolving is they don't follow that kind of bucket delineation mm. that rather they are fulfilling multiple purposes. Is that fair?
3: Yeah, that's definitely fair, Jonathan. And I think we're going to see more of this as the market matures. And I think one of the things that will definitely happen is that some of these best of breed solutions or the ones that are focused on solving just a small problem or a small challenge of the whole of the area that procurement gets involved in will partner up not only from an alliance perspective, but also from a sales perspective. I think we will see a lot more procurement tech companies going together to potential customers as partners and saying, okay, I offer the e-sourcing part, but our partner or our alliance hmm. company offers contract management or offers you know, ESG analytics or whatever it might be, because yep. it's a big market to tackle on your own. And any startup or any young company, you either have to spend your money on product, on sales and marketing, or on people. And you know where do you spend your money you can't be everything to everyone so yeah i completely agree with you
1: yeah and we're seeing that partnership uh, approach is proving essential for what we do as well
0: the procurement show exploring the more interesting bits about procurement and now the procurement fun fact this edition's exciting tale of preposterous procurement bizarre buying or simply saucy sourcing
1: The U.S. federal government spent $856,000 on a study to see if it is possible to train lions to walk on a treadmill, and after eight months, they could. (laughs) Why? I don't know, but it cost
2: a lot of money. Maybe it was the main attraction. (sighs) The
0: Procurement Fun Fact. Contact us by email. Hello at theprocurementshow.com. Send us a tweet at Procurement Show or connect with us on LinkedIn. Search for The Procurement Show.
1: Previously we had Chris Lance who came on The Procurement Show. And he said that if you want to have a digitally enabled procurement function, then we need to think less about the digital products and more about the data, where it is, what insights we need from it, and how best to get that. James, would you agree with that? Is that something that we need to be doing? And does data help us make better sense of the procurement tech landscape?
3: I would agree up to a point. I definitely agree with what Chris said that you can't digitize your procurement function if you've got crap data. It's just a non-starter. It's like trying to put a ferrari engine into a fiat almost to use a simple analogy i have done that you know (laughs) (laughs) i get where he's coming from but how does data help you to make sense of the procurement landscape well i think if you've got good data then whatever tool that you invest in unless you're investing in a data cleansing tool then you just devil's advocate (laughs) then you're going to get more out of it So I'd agree up to a point where I would disagree or where I would perhaps sort of challenge that and say it's maybe not a complete answer is you also can't pursue a digitalization strategy or perform a certain aspect of digitization of a certain process. If you have a very technocratic, typical procurement, very rigid process-driven mindset, I talk about this a lot on LinkedIn, but I think procurement has far too many technocrats and not enough entrepreneurs working within the function. And, you know, I think that's probably been just through the way the function operated historically, that it was, you know, very much we're a control based function. Whereas now I think we need to be very much a more entrepreneurial function as we tackle, you know, how can we pull the business together to solve a lot of the challenges that come from global supply chains and having a very diversified supply base. So I would challenge on that side. And I would also say that you're probably going to fail unless you've got a mandate or a sponsor that sat in the c-suite somewhere and again there's a lot of talk about should procurement have this fabled seat at the table and it is a bit of a cliche and i Mm. don't like the phrase to a large degree but i do think that if you don't have a chief procurement officer that reports to the ceo then you better make damn sure that you've got you know a chief supply chain officer or coo or cfo that's going to bat for you in the boardroom
2: some of the things you're yeah. mentioning on LinkedIn,
1: you're not scared of upsetting people, are you? No, but that's good. I mean, what you <laughs> just said there, absolutely on the money. You know, you've got to have the C-suite support it as a mm. minimum, but ideally somebody batting for you. And also the transition of procurement away from being the control function to the entrepreneur yeah. function. Absolutely where it's at. Is there like a procurement magic button that will
2: give you the single point of truth for everything we need to know in this landscape? no that, that, that <laughs> Do you know that what I knew that, that would be the answer I don't even know why I bothered asking the question I knew that would be the answer there never is uh, I really wish there was hmm.
3: no I mean we all wish there were but honestly I mean, if there was then whoever had created that piece of tech would be sat on a yacht now yeah. with a bunch of Russian models <laughs> yeah
1: and I guess that kind of, <laughs> of leads on to how you buy this stuff. Because if there isn't a magic button, that naturally means that what we're buying is kind of like islands of technology. And that seems to be how it is. You buy something and it does a bit of yeah. resourcing. You buy something else and it's doing your ESG reporting for you. And all of and these things, like that in life Yeah, as well. but they're all islands of technology. Yeah. And I see... Some companies beginning to create APIs that get things talking to each other, but it feels like it's base camp. It's mm. really early days. What do you think, James?
3: Yeah, I would concur with that. And I'm going to have to caveat my answer that you know I'm not an IT person. I mean, yes, I understand the digital procurement landscape pretty well, but I approach it more from a procurement category management background rather than a software development or sort of CTO type background. So I do think that best of breed is the future. And I do think that the market will continue to go that way. I was speaking to the COO of one of these new sort of disruptor companies. And I do think there will be a new breed of some of this traditional sweet based technology that is starting to look old in the tooth now. But I think. It's not necessarily that this sweet approach is old in the tooth. It's just that the UX and the UI and the tech stack that a lot of the older tech is built on is looking old in the tooth. But I think that if I refer to Dr. Eloise Epstein, who I met actually in Amsterdam at DPW and had on my podcast, if I refer to her spider diagram, that's quite well known. I think this platform approach that she alludes to will increasingly become important. I think the area that is still a little bit up in the air is that who will sit at the center of that? You know, Mm. will it be the sort of more traditional suites, you know, the SAP Aribas and the Coopers of the world, assuming they're still around in five years' time? Will it be one of this new breed of disruptor suites that's coming onto the scene? Will it be something like a Zip, Intake to procure vendor master or vendor master database sort of piece of tech, or will it be one Mm. of these supplier intelligence portals like a Scalpy or a Tealbook or a Hicks? I agree with what she's saying there. I'm just not sure which direction it will go in terms of what tech will win out as Mm. being ultimately the core or or the nucleus of this ecosystem that you end up plugging everything into. I guess SAP and Cooper have got a little bit of a head start in the sense that, you know, I think to their credit, they recognize that their platforms don't do everything that you need to, and implemented app stores in a similar way to Salesforce did. So, you know, that potentially does give them an advantage. But then what you're paying for for what these suites offer. It's damn expensive. So, yeah. you know, will yeah. they just lose relevance because of their pricing
1: structure? Possibly. And it, I guess whoever gets there first, you know, they've got yeah. that route to market. So that is like, you know, at the race is on to be that suite provider of the next generation of where everything kind of flows from. If you can be in that space, you've got it nailed. But it's
2: always been like that in almost every yeah, industry, it isn't it? Which yeah. makes me wonder, actually, where are the opportunities for things to go wrong? What are you going to have to look out for? If I for example, was the CPO that Jonathan mentioned, there's going to be some things that we should definitely avoid. But also, the flip side, there's going to be some things that we should definitely not avoid. Hmm.
3: Yes. And when I read any report or feature or best-of list that are out there, and there's several of them that claim to be the leading light or resource in terms of research around what are the best procurement tech platforms Hmm. out there. Interestingly, none of them use ease of implementation and UI UX as any of their evaluation criteria, which astounds me. Is it because maybe there's a lot of lobbying from some of the legacy brands and that they're also sponsoring some of them possibly? I wouldn't want to speculate. I'm not saying it is the case, but maybe has an influence, but it amazes me that none of these research houses list this as one of the criteria that they use to evaluate the platform. I would rather have a piece of tech that only does 50, 60% 50, 60% of what I want it to, but gives me 90% adoption yeah. than something that ticks every box but looks horrible, takes a year to yes. implement, mm. and no one in my organization yeah. wants to use. <laughs>
2: Jonathan and I ha- we have We talk about d- this a lot. Yeah, we yeah. do, because both <laughs> yourself in the industry, but myself as somebody who offered tenders for work and uses these platforms yeah. from the supplier end, yeah. and the user experience, the user interface, Without, diabolically, yes. awfully... It is... It across, might as well be 80 lines by 25. It, it might as well be yeah. text. Yeah. It's so bad.
1: It is so bad. And without naming names, you know, there isn't an example of good best practice in this industry We've across these more. platforms. That Many of these are 20 years old. Uh, and they look now, it. And they haven't really changed much in 20 years, which is really concerning. So I'm looking forward to that next suite that appears that company that disrupts this marketplace because that can be fantastic and there are all these other really exciting startups that have a really good piece of software or an intelligence-based thing that can do something once it's kind of plugged into the right way if i come back to that sheet of logos everyone's touting Mm. around half of whom we don't actually know who they are It must be that some of those are targeting particular industries because I guess you said earlier, James, if you're a startup, either you invest in marketing or you invest in people. So you can only do so much. So if you've got a particular digital product, your best bet right now is to say, what is the industry I'm going to get this over the line in? And is that why perhaps we haven't heard in many of these companies that they're being very precise in their market targeting and market positioning?
3: Yeah, I definitely concur with that. As you alluded to, when you're a startup and you've got limited resources, you either, I guess, go to the first customer that you manage to acquire through your network or through maybe one of your mentors or one of your angels, or you just take potluck and pick an industry and hope that you get some traction because, yeah, it's the only way to do it. And this only rhymes in American English, but one of the podcasts that I used to listen to in the online business space always used to say the riches are in the niches. And I do think that there's so much tech out there now, and it's so specialized in terms of what customers want it to do, that you have to do that. You know, there are S2P softwares out there now that focus on manufacturing industry, for example, because they know that the needs and wants of buying direct materials and purchase parts are very, very different to buying indirect non-production materials and services. There are some tech platforms that are focusing on things like MRO, which is a notoriously messy category. I know from eight years of being in the trenches managing it. Yes, is the answer. They will have to niche down at the start. But then you're also seeing then as their customer base grows, they then do tend to expand on the features that they have and, and try and take something to the mass market. And I think that's, to be honest, if you speak to founders, that's the thing that they tend to struggle with that they get enough traction that they've got enough money and got proof of concept to keep going. But then how do they then take that to the mass market? without becoming a me too product
2: there seems to be an irony there because it's almost like the people that develop these platforms aren't looking at the needs of the people that are buying the irony is you're buying something specific for your product service whatever it is you're doing as a business so you're looking for niche solutions specific components Mm -hmm. yet the software that you're using to achieve that isn't niche to your industry in some cases i think
1: i don't know i think there's exceptions there what do you think james
3: Yeah, there are definitely exceptions there. I mean, there are products out there that are catering towards one that I know very well, that's a vendor master data platform. And they say, you know, we are catering to the hospitality industry and to facility management companies. That's our core target base. Now, if they had a medium-sized manufacturer in the automotive industry that approached them, they wouldn't say no. But that customer may find that there are a couple of features lacking from what they wanted to do, albeit the product offering, generally speaking, would fit what they need. It's
0: time to Ask Jonathan.
2: And today's Ask Jonathan is from Gupta in Durandan, India. Gupta writes Here in India, we are big fans of the procurement show. Oh, that's good to know. Please say hello to my sister, Sanvi. Hello Sanvi, good that you're listening And actually just to say Gupta, I apologise if I've pronounced anything incorrectly there Okay. Now Gupta says, I work in a division of the oil and gas industry where we now have new targets to meet for sustainability, especially for emissions. We're being asked by our international customers to report on what happens in some of our suppliers and supply chains Yet many suppliers based in India seem a long way behind those outside India in the West. I respect ask if you may help me know what I may need to do
1: here please yeah this is a really good question so there's a big risk as we drive sustainable procurement that we assume that the rest of the world acts and operates in the same way that we do in Europe we do in America and we've got to recognize that there are different degrees of progress India is actually quite progressive in many respects so you'll find the kind of a list companies that are supplying things to the big brand name companies that well they've sorted out all of those kind of cliche issues that you would normally do talk about in terms of working conditions, child labour and poor human rights records. But you don't have to go far to find the kind of B class suppliers where in the kind of backstreets you can find those but those aren't the ones that will have the contracts with the big companies typically sure. but you know you have to look carefully so what that means is there's a wide range of the degree to which companies across India will meet environmental and human rights legislation so this is all about understanding where the suppliers are in terms of what they're doing, and also whether they are interested, able to be able to make that journey. It starts by figuring out what it is, what good looks like, what it is that you're asking Indian suppliers to do. Is it about reducing emissions, which is a challenge because you know there's still a lot of coal generated electricity across India, or is it other aspects of driving sustainability and how can you prioritize the areas that most need addressing? So it's about being able to move as fast as you can but recognizing that you're not going to be able to change everything overnight it's about understanding what are the priorities what are the biggest impacts we need to address and being really clear which are the suppliers that you can work with to do that and which are the suppliers that you shouldn't work to do that and put in the systems and arrangements to understand them firsthand and be able to visit them audit them get close to them work with them develop them and incentivize them to be able to make that journey. So a bit of a convoluted answer to say you've really got to get close to them and understand the ones that can do it and work with them to get where you want to be. Does that also include having a cultural variance? It does include that, but it's cultural and also legislation as well Mm -hmm. because there's a lot less legislation when you get to some remote parts of the world. I'm not saying India's remote, but you get quite differences in terms of either the degree of legislation around environment or human rights or the degree degree to which it is upheld so it's understanding where the country is yes. where the culture is and also where the specific suppliers and supply chains are in terms of that journey and then figuring out how far away is that from where you need to be and what can you practically do to begin to drive that change
2: it's a great
0: answer great question actually as well if you've got a great question here's how to get in touch ask jonathan email your question to jonathan at the procurementshow.com you might be part of the next show. The Procurement Show. The latest thinking, the greatest insights.
2: Now, digital transformation. I would actually say that few companies have actually gone down that proper digital transformation route, no matter what they say. Mm -hmm. They say they have, but the reality is they haven't. What are the basics that the procurement function needs within digital transformation in order to make that transformation?
3: I would narrow it down to four specifically, and that would be spend analytics because you need to know what you're spending to be able to put any sort of long-term strategy plan together in terms of attacking where there might be cost savings opportunity or unaddressed risk. Mm -hmm. You need to have some sort of procure-to-pay P2P platform because... Procurement teams are being asked to do more with less and you've got to eliminate some of that administrative busy work to be able to free up your team to do this avalanche of bureaucracy that's coming towards everyone now in terms of ESG and compliance and risk management. You need some sort of central repository to manage your sourcing events and your contract data. And then you need a single source of truth that captures all of the data about your suppliers. So some sort of supplier intake or vendor master data management platform. So as you've not got the wrong bank account and duplicate vendors and multiple different payment terms and a phone number and email address that don't work when you're in the SHIT and you need to contact a supplier for something urgent, they would be the basics. And even if you only look at those, does the average 100 million euro company have the budget to go out and buy all of that probably not so they're probably going to have to triage even more and say Mm -hmm. okay which two of those four do we go for because even with a modest budget even if you've only got 50 to 100k to spend on procurement tech you could get some basic software that covers two out of those four.
1: Mm, Yeah. And I think probably the one that those companies choose the most would be the Mm e-sourcing platform. That's probably Mm -hmm. the first choice for the companies I've seen.
3: I did a poll on that actually on LinkedIn probably about a month ago and it had 580 people responded to it and 62% said spend analytics.
1: Okay, wow.
3: Yeah, spend analytics overwhelmingly and then P2P was number two.
1: And what about for the companies that are really leading edge? So that's the kind of basics, the ticket to the ballpark. What about the companies that are out there? They're driving that transformation. What's the latest and greatest, the next new thing that's happening out there that we should be thinking about and those kind of early adopters are already using?
3: The two that excite me the most in terms of how can it make our workload lighter and deal with a lot of the grunt work that takes up so much time for procurement professionals at the moment there are two that really stand out there are the platforms that are looking at automating the sourcing and sort of tactical negotiation process for the fairly simple tail spend purchases that are not High volume, repeatable transactions that can be done through purchasing catalogues. Something that I of Bear Market and Pactum are the ones that spring to mind that are in that space, you know, just to be able to negotiate some changes to redline in an NDA, for example, is a real time saver. And then I think the other one is around contracts and that can the technology that's out there that can use or leverage AI to be able to suggest clauses in a contract that are red flags without you having to spend hours reading through legalese or trying to nail down your legal department that have got a thousand other priorities because they're always focused on sales rather than procurement. They're the two that I think really excite me in terms of benefit when it comes to the amount of time procurement spends on that work currently and how AI is not going to do the job for you, but it's going to get you to the point where it saves you a lot of people hours to get there and then you can sort of interpret the result and then decide what you need to do after that
2: time's a commodity that you Mm -hmm. really just can't create if anything saves you time more often than not it's a benefit but there must be other ways that you can qualify the benefits of digital so if i'm that cpo what does my business case need to be built upon a bit more color to that business case to justify the spend
3: the obvious one is how long is it gonna to take to pay back the investment? What's the ROI? And you know, most CFOs, especially in public traded companies, will want to see an ROI that returns the investment in a year or two years, typically. But I think the other piece of this, really important piece, is around, let's just take an average procurement category manager in a large business. You know, If we're talking a UK or Western European salary, let's say that on average they earn, I don't know, 70, 75,000 pounds a year. Take that salary, divide it by what is it, 225 working days. If we say they've got five or six weeks worth of paid annual leave, and then divide it by eight hours and say, what's their effective hourly rate? You know, if you were paying them per hour, what would you be paying them? If they're doing work that you could hire someone on one of these freelancer platforms on an hourly rate for less than that, you know, I'm thinking, submitting expense payments or travel requests or crunching data or filling out forms or preparing presentations, then that's opportunity cost. If that was a manufacturing process, you'd have lean consultants crawling all over it. So I think that's the mindset that you need to look at just because you've got a bum on a seat that's salaried. If they're spending, you know, I've seen it with my own eyes, I've done it, a third to a half of their time on non-value added or work that's just bureaucracy to mm. fulfill internal requirements, then that's waste. If that was manufacturing, it would be considered waste and rework. Do you
1: think that procurement and supply chain functions need new skills, new capabilities and possibly even new people if we're going to be driving this digital transformation just to understand and be able to utilise some of the things that are emerging on the marketplace?
3: Yes is the short answer. So I think in terms of people, I think the procurement team of the future will look very different to what it does today. I think you will have considerably fewer category managers because this one third to one half of what they're spending their time on at the moment can be eliminated, automated or delegated. I'm an optimist. I hope that we will see the return of junior buyers or admin assistants as part of that team function, because I think hiring those on a lower salary can take a lot of the work that by default has been pushed onto category managers now because a lot of big companies got rid of that position in the last financial crisis and they never came back. And i also think that we will see new positions like internal communications experts to be able to talk the language of the business and get engagement from our stakeholders and data analysts and data scientists to make use of what is becoming the new gold you know data is a commodity and a lot of companies are not using it to its full effect so i think those positions will increasingly start to sit in procurement when we're looking at you know the complete picture the complete data lake around everything that we have on costs and on data that we have around our supply base. I've used this as an example quite a lot, but if we consider you know, Amazon is not really an e-commerce company, Tinder is not really a dating app, they're data companies at heart, that's why their share price is so high. Same mm. with Tesla as well. That's why their share price is so high. So yes, I do think there are new skills, new capabilities, and new people that are needed to drive a digital transformation. But I think a lot of it also comes down to mindset. Mm -hmm. Again, the procurement has historically been quite a bureaucratic and process-driven function. And I think that technocracy needs to be sort of swept away to enable the full potential from technology and digitization to really go out to bat and bring in the gains that it can
2: do. You've actually said some really positive mm-hmm. things there. Yeah. It's not all doom and gloom. The fact that the functioning industry will be requiring new talent yeah. is always positive, yeah. always a good thing. With new talent, requires a new method and new yeah. forms of training. Yeah. You're passionate about training. Mm-hmm. What does digital transformation
1: mean to you in your uh, that's, sphere? That's a great question. Thank you for telling me you were going to ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> so You if, know I like putting well, you on the spot. I, I mean, look at what's happened post-pandemic. Yeah. So, most of the training we do is live online, instructor led training. So, that's having an impact. That's taken yeah. the old kind of classroom training. And we still have clients coming back saying, actually, we want to fly everyone around the world and put them in a classroom, mm. probably about 20%. Most of it is got to be virtual, and it's got to be good virtual. You mm-hmm. can't just have somebody sat on a Zoom call showing you a PowerPoint slide. It's got to be engaging yes. and two-way. And there's an art to how you make that happen. So that's the kind of current technology, but actually you sort of play that out. Where is that going to get to the idea that you're engaging with something? Our e-learning products, for example, mm. used to be quite lengthy modules and are now all going to short Because people just want bites of instruction and to do it kind of piecemeal. And so we're kind of evolving to this place where I need a bit of knowledge. I want it now. Quick. Thanks very much. Move on. We're kind of evolving to that. So you then look at what's happening with AI. You look at what's happening in the world of being able to plug people into whatever Mm -hmm. they need and make intelligent, informed, learned decisions. It's only a matter of time before that's how we do training and Mm -hmm. procurement and negotiation in this space. And I'm excited. There aren't too many people trying to do that. You know, we're doing some work on Mm. that currently, but there aren't too many people trying to do that stuff right now. Is this something that's going to happen in the training space? Can you see there being a new AI powered training platform for procurement and supply chain?
3: There already is in terms of negotiation. There's a company called Lavinia AI that's developed five avatars that have been trained to negotiate in different styles. And they're still quite early stage. Their product needs a bit of refinement. And I think they would openly admit that if you spoke to their founders. But... It's exciting in the sense that, you know, I'm sure you've been in this situation in your past as well, Jonathan, that you've gone on your annual negotiation refresher training, you have a great time for a couple of days on an offsite in a nice hotel, and then you come back and you don't really get to practice what you've learned. And it's like Mm -hmm. any training course, if it's not practical, and you're not continuously refreshing. Mm, Yeah, it's like, you know, I did six semesters of Spanish at university back in the late 90s. But it wasn't until I bought a house in Spain six years ago that I started to use it again. And I was pretty pretty bad, as you'd expect. So there is tech, I mean, will it be able to completely automate? And will you be able to use AI and online learning for all of your training requirements? Well, probably not. But I do think it will eliminate the need for a lot of business travel and classroom training in general, online courses as well. They're a bit slightly more low tech solution, but I do think they have a place as well, especially for remote first teams that maybe don't have the resources to bring everyone on site for an instructor-led training session.
1: And we can save
2: Exciting. the planet at the same time. Yeah, flying people around the world. Exciting future. It yeah. seems as though there needs to be the Turing test for somebody you're negotiating mm, with. Yeah. Right. Now we like to finish our episodes talking about food, mm-hmm. but knowledge being food, and I like <laughs> takeaways, and I always have three. What would be your three key takeaways from our discussion today?
3: Doner kebab. No. Um. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> do you know? Do you I, I know. Do I could do lo- one of those? Yeah. Apart from doner kebab, I would say. Data, people, and the right tech stack. That's
1: probably the most That's... concise answer I've yeah. ever had. And I'm still processing that data, people, and the right tech stack. Yeah. That's it. James, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on The Procurement Show. Thank you so much for taking time out from your holiday to be part of this. We really appreciate that. He's going to go back on the slopes, aren't you?
3: I'm not actually, but I might do
1: tomorrow. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you, James. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Paul. Pleasure.
0: You've been listening to The Procurement Show. Contact us by email, hello at theprocurementshow.com. Connect with us. On LinkedIn, search for The Procurement Show. And on Twitter, at Procurement Show. Visit us at theprocurementshow.com. The Procurement Show is brought to you by Positive Purchasing, enabling the future of procurement in organizations around the globe. Copyright Positive Purchasing. All rights reserved. Produced by Fresh Air Studios.